I sometimes read uh, public domain books here on Leaves of Glen. And they were written a long time ago, uh, so they're usually uh, racist or sexist or bigoted. Uh, but in there somewhere and all that is a, a story, and that's why those stories are famous. Other times, I read uh, works from independent authors, and they're delightfully not racist, but they might have adult language or adult situations. So that's your warning, uh, but I'm sure you uh, are grown up enough to handle it. Don't write to me complaining. Ass clown. Ass clown. I can nail this. I'll get. Oh, oh, hello. Welcome to the mansion of Leaves of Glen, where a bit that I'm doing where I pretend that I live in a mansion and not a dilapidated home. This is where I read the hottest public domain books and short stories. This week we're reading The Little Prince by Antoine de saint Exupéry. It's a book recommended by Wanda, a fellow podcaster with her own show called From Words to Ideas. It's a show where she interviews interesting people, uh, currently people who are in military service or veterans. Uh, the stories are really good. She gets into the kind of life a person has beyond service or around service, including things like uh, how they grew up. Uh, I've heard all of them because it's a new show and there's only five episodes right now. So get in now uh, while you can and, uh, and say you've heard all of them too before she has a catalog of thousands and then it's impossible. She works as a translator in French, uh, German, and English. And she's already reached out to me to tell me that my French pronunciation of things is très parfait, which is French for you're the best. You can find her show on any podcasting app by searching from words to ideas. You can connect with her and learn more uh, by going on Twitter and looking for her on uh, at words underscore ideas underscore pod. And if you want me to shut up about it, then throw some money at her at buymeacoffee.com slash words underscore ideas underscore pod. Well, with that, why don't we uh, learn a little bit about the author. Uh, he's born the 29th of June, 1900. And he died the 31st of July, 1944. I didn't get a, get a chance to get into fun facts last time. I spent so much time babbling that the grandfather clock kicked in. So let's learn some fun facts now. A uh, little prince pronounced Le Petit Prince, was first published in English and French in the U.S. in April 1943 and posthumously in France following the liberation of France as St. Oxenbury's works had been banned by the Nazi-friendly regime. The story follows a young prince who visits various planets in space, including Earth, and addresses themes of loneliness, friendship, love, and loss. Despite its style as a children's book, and the little prince makes observations about uh, life and human nature. And the little prince became uh, Salt Oxenberry's most successful work, uh, selling an estimated 140 million copies worldwide, which makes it one of the best-selling and most translated books ever published. It has been translated into 301 languages. And it's been adapted to numerous art forms and media, including uh, audio recordings, uh, radio plays, live stage... Film, uh, television, ballet, and opera. Oh, that'd be weird. Opera's a weird twist. What would that be like? I'm not gonna go look that up. Well, with that, uh, uh, 
there is still so much time left before the grandfather clock. I should move the grandfather clock up a little bit. That way I don't have to keep running into this problem. What's going on in my life? Uh, uh, nothing. Oh, uh, it's nice to have people, uh, listen to the show and actually reach out. It's nice because I know that someone's actually listening. Uh, the turds over at Ladies Fright Podcast, uh, they listen to the show, apparently. Uh, there's Maggie, and apparently some unknown other one also listens. So that should be a blessing, but it's a curse. Uh, I guess... Uh, the other mysterious one said to Maggie, uh, who's this one that speaks in all the oohs and ahs like a Midwesterner from the movie Fargo? And then Maggie said, oh, uh, that's Glenn. And then, uh, boy, they had a big laugh about it. And, uh, and Maggie felt that they, they needed to tell me that. So then I, of course, started thinking, like, I don't say my O's really long. And I don't say uh, my ahs all weird. Uh, I come from Minnesota. And I say Minnesota in a normal way. People tell me, ah, you sound like a newscaster. You don't have any kind of accent at all. And I say thank you because I'm not like one of those weird people from Iowa that talk like they're from the backwoods. But so after she said that, I immediately uh, started uh, judging how I talk. And then I went to Target thinking about how uh, they all are over there laughing because they think I talk like I'm from the show Northern Exposure, yeah, which is from the 90s. I'm very old. Uh, and then I saw so I go to Target, and I'm going down the aisle thinking to myself, I don't say a long O or a harsh ah at all, and they're wrong. Sucks to them. And their podcast, which you can find on any of your favorite podcasting platforms by searching for Ladies Fright or on Twitter, where you can find them at Ladies Fright pod. So as I'm going through the aisles of Target, uh, I almost run into somebody else with their cart, and I say, oh, sorry about that, and they say, oh, no, not a problem, don't worry about it. And then they try to turn an awkward way, and I turn an awkward way, and I said, oh, sorry, <laughs> do a little dance, or whatever, and I said, this entire exchange was Midwestern. I said, oh, twice, that's a that's a giveaway. And then when you say something, oh, we get we get a dance or we disco, it, it's already ruined. So I went home and uh, uh, nope, doesn't matter. I'm doing a thing right now. I don't even care. Uh, I went home and I uh, I looked up how to pronounce Minnesota. I figured that's the key one. If I say that, uh, and I sound fine. Listen for yourself. I'm gonna say Minnesota. There, I just said it casually and naturally. Now listen to the official pronunciation. Minnesota. You hear that? Minnesota. Totally normal. I even looked up how to pronounce things that I'm aware of, like uh, in my in my area of the country, like casserole. And listen for yourself. Casserole. 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 See, I'm fine. So, I believe that puts that topic to bed. Ah, uh, Worked into a lather. Well, with that, let's uh, dive into the story. Chapter 9, The Little Prince Leaves His Planet. 
I believe that for his escape, he took advantage of the migration of a flock of wild birds. On the morning of his departure, he put his planet in perfect order. He carefully cleaned out his active volcanoes. He possessed two active volcanoes, uh, and they were very convenient for heating his breakfast uh, in the morning. He also had one volcano that was extinct. But, as he said, oh, I never know, is that... So he cleaned out the extinct volcano, too. If they were well cleaned out, volcanoes burn slowly and steadily, without any uh, eruptions. Volcanic eruptions are like uh, fires in a chimney. On our Earth, we obviously much too small to clean out our volcanoes, and that's why they bring no end of trouble to us. The little prince also pulled up with a certain sense of dejection, the last little shoots and baobabs. Uh, he believed that he would never want to return. But on the last morning, all these familiar tasks seemed very precious to him. And, and when he watered the flower for the last time and prepared to place her under the shelter of her glass globe, he realized that he was very close to tears. "'Goodbye,' said to the flower, but she uh, made no answer. "'Goodbye,' he said again, and the flower coughed, but it was not because she had a cold. "'I have been silly,' she said to him at last. "'I ask your forgiveness and try to be happy.' He was surprised by this absence of reproaches, and he stood there all bewildered. Uh, the glass globe held arrested in midair. He did not understand that his quite sweetness. Oh, of course I love you, the flower said to him. It's, it's my fault that you have not known it all the while. But that is no importance to you. But you, you have been just as foolish as I. Try to be happy. Let the glass globe be. I don't want it anymore. But the, but the wind. Ah, my cold is not so bad as all that. The cool night air will do me good. I am a flower. But, uh, but the animals. Well, I must endure the presence of two or three caterpillars if I wish to become acquainted with the butterflies. It seems that they are very beautiful. And if not the butterflies and the caterpillars, uh, who will call upon me? You will be far away. As for the large animals, I am not afraid of any of them. I have my claws. And this the word with the Japanese symbol in again. Naively, she showed... I... I gotta know what that word is. Whatever. She showed four thorns. And then she added, Don't linger like this. You have decided to go away. Now go. For she did not want to see him see her crying. Uh, she was such a proud flower. Chapter 10. Now the little prince visits the king. He found himself in the neighborhood of the asteroids. Uh, 325. Uh, 326. And, uh, uh, 327. 328. 329 and uh, 330. He began, therefore, by visiting them in order to add his knowledge. The first of them was inhabited by a king clad in royal purple and ermine. He was seated upon a throne, which was at the same time both simple and majestic. Ah, here is the subject, exclaimed the king. When he saw the little prince coming, and the little prince asked himself, how could he recognize me when we have not seen me before? He did not know how the world is simplified for kings. To them, all men are subjects. Approach! Yeah, Simon, see you better, said the king, who felt consumingly proud at being the, uh, at last, a king over somebody. The little prince looked everywhere to find a place to sit down, but the entire planet was crammed and obstructed by the king's magnificent ermine robe. So he remained standing upright, and since he was tired, he yawned. 
It is contrary to etiquette to yawn in the presence of a king, the monarch said to him. I forbid you to do so. I can't help it. I can't stop myself, replied the little prince, thoroughly embarrassed. I have come on a long journey and I had no sleep. Ah, then the king said, I order you to yawn. It is years since I have seen anyone yawning. Yawns, to me, are objects of curiosity. Come now, yawn again. It's an order. That frightens me. I cannot any more, murmured the little prince, now completely abashed. Hum, hum, replied the king. Then I, I order you sometimes to yawn and sometimes to... He sputtered a little and seemed vexed. For what the king fundamentally insisted upon was that his authority should be respected. He tolerated, oh, uh, no disobedience. He was an absolute monarch, but because he was a very good man, he made his orders reasonable. If I ordered a general, he would say by way of example, if I ordered a general to change himself into a, <laughs> a seabird, if the general did not obey me, eh, that would not be the fault of the general. It would be my fault. May I sit down? came now a timid inquiry from the little prince. I order you to do so, the king answered, and majestically gathered a fold of his ermine mantle. There's a picture of a crabby-looking king with uh, big, long robes sitting in a chair on a small planet. Uh, but the little prince was wondering. The planet was tiny. Over what could the king really rule? Uh, sire, he said to him, I beg you, you'll excuse my asking you a question. I order you to ask me a question. Ah, the king hastened to assure him. Sire, uh, over what do you rule? Oh, over everything, said the king with magnificent simplicity. Uh, over everything? The king made a gesture which took in his planet, the other planets, and all the stars. Over all that? asked the little prince. Over all that, the king answered. For his rule was not only absolute, it was also universal. Uh, uh, stars obey you? Certainly they do, the king said. Oh, they obey instantly. I do not permit insubordination. Burp, such power was a thing for a little prince to marvel at. If he had been master of such complete authority, he would have been able to watch the sunset, not 44 times in a day, but 72, or, or, or even, a, even a hundred, or even 200 times without ever having to move his chair. And because he felt a bit sad, as he remembered his little planet, which he had forsaken, he plucked up his courage to ask the king a favor. I should like to see a sunset and do me that kindness, order the sun to set. Oh, if I ordered a general to fly from one flower to another like a butterfly, or to write a tragic drama, or to change himself into a, uh, ooh, a seabird, uh, and if the general did not carry out the order that he had received, uh, which one of us would be in the wrong, the king demanded, the general or myself? You, said the prince firmly. Exactly. One much, uh, much require from each one the duty with each one can perform, the king went on. Accepted authority rests first of all on reason. If you ordered your people to go and throw themselves into the sea, they would rise up in revolution. I have the right to require obedience because my orders are reasonable. Then my sunset, the little prince reminded him, I never forgot a question once he'd asked it. Uh, you shall have your sunset, I shall command it, but according to my science of government, I shall wait until conditions are favorable. "'What'll that be?' inquired the bull prince. "'Hum, hum,' replied the king. Before anything else, he consulted a bulky almanac. "'Hum, hum. "'That'll be about, eh, about, 
They'll be this uh, evening, about 20 minutes to 8, and you shall see how well I am obeyed. Mad Little Prince yawned. He was regretting his lost sunset, and then he too was already beginning to be a little bored. And I got nothing to do here, she said to the king, so I shall set out on my way again. Oh, do not go, said the king, who was very proud of having a subject. Do not go. I will make you a minister. A minister of what? Minister of uh, justice. There's nobody here to judge. We did not know that, the king said to him. I have not yet made a, a complete tour of my kingdom. Oh, I am very old. There is no room here for a carriage, and it tires me to walk. Uh, oh, but I've looked already, said the little prince, turning around to give one more glance to the other side of the planet. On that side, and on this, uh, there was nobody at all. Then you shall judge uh, yourself, the king answered. That is the most difficult thing of all. It is much more difficult to judge oneself than to judge others. If you succeed in judging yourself rightly, then you are indeed a man of true wisdom. Yes, said the little prince, but I can judge myself anywhere. I don't need to do live here on this planet. Hum, hum, said the king. I have a good question, a uh, reason to believe that somewhere on my planet uh, there's a, an old rat. Uh, I hear him at night. You can judge the old rat. From time to time, you will condemn him to death. Thus, his life will depend on your justice. But you will pardon him on each occasion, for he must be treated thriftily. Yeah, he's the only one we have. I, replied the little prince, do not like to condemn anyone to death, and now I think I will go on my way. No, said the king, but the little prince, having now completed his preparation for departure, had no wish to grieve the old monarch. If your majesty wishes to be promptly obeyed, he said, you should be able to give me a reasonable order. Uh, he should be able, uh, for example, to order me to be gone by the end of one minute. It seems to me that the conditions are favorable. As the king made no answer, the little prince hesitated a moment. Then, with a sigh, he took his leave. I made you my ambassador, the king crawled out, called out hastily. He had a magnificent air of authority. The grown-ups... Ah, very strange, the little prince said to himself as he continued on his journey. Chapter 11 The Little Prince Visits the Conceited Man The second planet was inhabited by a, a conceited man. Ah, ah, I'm about to receive a visit from an admirer, he exclaimed from afar, when he first saw the little prince coming. For, to conceited men, all other men are admirers. And there's a picture of a a man with a big red nose, a tongue sticking out, something red coming out of his mouth, and a hat and a yellow suit sitting on a small planet with a sun behind him. Good morning, said Little Prince. That's a queer hat you're wearing. It's a hat for salutes, the conceited man replied. It is to raise and salute when people acclaim me. Unfortunately, nobody at all ever passes this way. Eh, uh, yes? said Little Prince, who did not understand what the conceited man was talking about. Uh, clap your hands, one against the other. The conceited man now directed him. Uh, little Prince clapped his hands, and the conceited man raised his hat in a modest salute. This is more entertaining than the visit to the king, Little Prince said to himself, and he began to clap his hands again, one against the other. The conceited man against, against, not again, there's some spelling errors in this uh, PDF, raised his hat in salute. After five more minutes of this exercise, the little prince grew tired of the game's monotony. Uh, what should I uh, do to make the hat come down, he asked. But the conceited man did not hear him. The conceited people never hear anything but praise. Do you really admire me very much? He demanded the little prince. Uh, what does that mean, admire? 
To admire means that you regard me as the handsomest, the best dressed, the richest, the most intelligent man on this planet. You're the only man on this planet. Do me this kindness. Admire me just the same. Uh, I admire you, said the little prince, shrugging his shoulders slightly. But what is there in that that interests you so much? And the little prince went away. The grown-ups are certainly very odd, he said to himself as he continued on his journey. Ah, chapter 12. The little prince visits the tippler. The next planet was inhabited by a tippler. This is a very short visit, but it plunged the little prince into deep dejection. What are you doing there? He said to the tippler, who he found settled down in silence before a collection of empty bottles and also a collection of full bottles. I am drinking, replied the tippler with a laborious air. Why are you drinking? demanded the little prince. So that I may forget, replied the tippler. Uh, forget what? inquired the little prince, who was already sorry for him. Oh, there's a picture of a guy. Kind of looks like he's got clown makeup on with a red nose. Everyone's got a red nose. They all have rosacea, apparently. I think he's not the only one drinking. And he's sitting at a small table on a small planet. Uh, forget that I am ashamed, the tippler confesses, hanging his head. Uh, ashamed for what? insists the little prince, who wanted to help him. Ashamed of drinking. Oh, God. I think I'm the tippler. The tippler brought his speech to an end and shut himself up in an impregnable silence. And the little prince went away puzzled. The grown-ups are certainly very, very odd, he said to himself as he continued on his journey. Chapter 13, little prince visits, ooh, the businessman. The fourth planet belonged to a businessman. Ah, this man was so much occupied that he did not even raise his head at the little prince's arrival. Good morning, the little prince said to him. Yeah, your cigarette's gone out. Oh, they smoke on these planets? Uh, Oh, there's a picture of a guy with more rosacea leaning over a paper pointing at it. He does. He has a little cigarette in his mouth. Uh, Three and two make five. Uh, Five and seven ah, make twelve. Uh, Twelve and three make, uh, ooh, fifteen. Uh, good morning. Fifteen and seven make, uh, hmm, seventy-two. Seventy-two and six make twenty-eight. Uh, I haven't had time to light it again. Uh, Twenty-six and five make thirty-one. Phew. Uh, then that makes five hundred and one million six hundred and seventy-two thousand seven hundred thirty-one. Uh, five hundred million what? asked the little prince. Eh? Ah, uh, you still here? At uh, five hundred one million? I can't stop. I have so much to do. I am concerned with matters of consequence. I don't amuse myself with balderdash. Eh? Uh, two and five make seven. Uh, five hundred and one million what? repeated the little prince, uh, who never in his life had let go of a question once he asked it. The businessman raised his head. During the 54 years that I have inhabited this planet, I have been disturbed only three times. The first one uh, was 22 years ago, when some giddy goose fell from goodness knows where, and he made the most frightful noise that resounded all over the place, and I made four mistakes in my addition uh, the second time 11 years ago. Uh, I was disturbed by an attack of rheumatism. Uh, I don't get enough exercise. I have no time for loafing. Uh, the third time, well, this is it. I was saying then five uh, hundred and one millions. Millions of what? The businessman suddenly realized that there was no hope in being left in peace until he answered the question. Millions 
of those little objects, he said, which one sometimes sees in the sky. Uh, flies? Oh, no, little glittering objects. Uh, bees? Yeah, like bees, the kind of bees you find in your clothes. Oh, no, little golden objects that set lazy men to idle dreaming. As for me, I am concerned with matters of consequence. There's no time for idle dreaming in my life. Ah, uh, you mean the stars. Yes, that's it, the stars. Uh, what do you do with 500 million stars? 501,622,731. I am concerned with the matters of consequence, and I am accurate. Uh, what do you do with these stars? What do I do with them? Yeah. Uh, nothing, I own them. You own the stars? Yes. But I have already seen a king who kings do not own, they reign over. That's a different matter. And what good does it uh, do to own the stars? It does me the good of making me rich. And what does it do uh, to be rich? It makes it possible for me to buy more stars, if any are discovered. This man, the little prince said to himself, reasons a little like my poor Tipler. Nevertheless, oh, oh, nevertheless, he still had some more questions. Uh, how is it possible for one to own the stars? Uh, to whom do they belong? The businessman retorted peevishly. I don't know. To nobody. Then they belong to me, because <laughs> I'm the first person to think of it. Is that all that's necessary? Certainly. And when you find a diamond that belongs to nobody, it's yours. When you discover an island that belongs to nobody, it's yours. And when you get an idea before anyone else, uh, you take a patent on it, it's yours. So with me, oh, I own the stars. Because nobody else before me has ever thought of owning them. <laughs> yes, that is true, said the little prince. Uh, what do you do with them? I administer them, replied the businessman. I count them and uh, recount them. It is difficult. But I am a man who is naturally interested in matters of consequence. The little prince was still not satisfied. If I owned a, a silk scarf, he said... I could put it around my neck, I'd take it away with me. If I owned a flower, I could pluck that flower and take it away with me. But you cannot pluck the stars from heaven. No, uh, but I could put them in the bank. Whatever does that mean? That means that I write the number of my stars on a little paper, and then I put that paper in a drawer uh, and lock it with a key. And that's all? Uh, that's enough, said the businessman. It is entertaining, thought the prince. It's rather poetic, but it is of no great consequence. On matters of consequence, the little prince has ideas which were very different from those of the grown-ups. Uh, I, myself, uh, own a flower, he continued, his conversation with the businessman, which I water every day. Uh, I own three volcanoes, uh, which I clean out every week, uh, for I also clean out uh, the one that's extinct. Uh, one never knows. <laughs> but if some use to my volcanoes, it is of some use to my flower that I own them. But you are of no use to the stars. Yeah, the businessman opened his mouth, uh, but he found nothing to say in answer. And little prince went away. The grown-ups are certainly altogether extraordinary, he said, simply talking to himself as he continued on his journey. Chapter 14 The Little Prince Visits the Lamplighter The fifth planet uh, was very strange. It was the smallest of all. Uh, there was just enough room on it for a, a street lamp and a lamplighter. The little prince was not able to reach any explanation of the use of a street lamp and a lamplighter somewhere in the heavens, but on a planet which had no people and not one house. Uh, but he said to himself, nevertheless, 
Verp, it may well be that this man is absurd. But he is not so absurd as the king, uh, the conceited man, the businessman, and the tippler. For at least his work has, eh, some meaning. Uh, when he lights his street lamp, it's as if uh, he brought one more star to life, or one flower. When he puts out his lamp, he sends the flower, uh, or the star, to sleep. That is a beautiful occupation, and since it is beautiful, it is truly useful. When he arrived on the planet, uh, it is a picture of a man uh, kind of standing weirdly curved uh, on a tiny little white planet with the red sun behind it, and he's about to light a lamp on a, with a stick. When he arrived on the planet, he respectfully saluted the lamplighter. Uh, Good morning. Uh, why have you just uh, put out your lamp? Those are the orders, replied the lamplighter. Good morning. Uh, what are the orders? The orders are that I put out my lamp. Good evening. And he lighted his lamp again. Uh, why did you just light it again? Those are the orders, replied the lamplighter. I don't understand, said the little prince. There's nothing I understand, said the lamplighter. Orders are orders. <laughs> Good morning. And he put out his lamp. Then he mopped his forehead with a handkerchief decorated with red squares. I follow a terrible profession. In the old days, it was reasonable. I put the lamp out in the morning, and in the evening, I lighted it again. I had the rest of the day for relaxation and the rest of the night for sleep. And the orders have been changed since that time? Oh, the orders have not been changed, said the lamplighter. That is the tragedy. From year to year, the planet has turned more rapidly, and the orders have not been changed. Uh, then what? asked the little prince. Uh, then the planet now makes a complete turn every minute. And I no longer have a, a single second for repose. Uh, once every minute, I have to light my lamp and put it out. Uh, that's very funny. A day lasts only one minute. Uh, here where you live. That's uh, not funny at all, said the lamplighter. Well, we've been talking together. A month has gone by. A month? Yeah, a month. 30 minutes, 30 days. Good evening. And he lighted his lamp again. And the little prince watched him and felt that he loved this lamplighter who was so faithful to his orders. He remembered the sunsets which he himself had gone to seek in other days merely by pulling up his chair and he wanted to help his friend. Uh, you know, he said, I could tell you a way you can rest whenever you want to. Oh, I always want to rest, said the lamplighter, for it is possible for a man to be faithful and lazy at the same time. The little prince went on with his explanation. Your planet is so small that three strides will take you all the way around it. To uh, always be in the sunshine, you need only walk along rather slowly. Uh, when you want to rest, uh, you will walk, and when the day will last as long as you like. That doesn't do me much good, said the lamplighter. The one thing I love in life is to sleep. Yeah, then you're unlucky, said the little prince. I am unlucky, said the lamplighter. Good morning. And he put out his lamp. That man, said the little prince to himself, as he continued further on his journey, that man would be scorned by all others, by the king, by the conceited man, by the uh, tippler, uh, by the businessman. Nevertheless, he is the only one of them, all who does not seem to me ridiculous. Perhaps that is because he is thinking of something else besides himself. He breathed a sigh of regret and said to himself again, That man is the only one of them all whom I could have made my friend. But uh, his plan is too, uh, it's too small. There's no room for two people. What the little prince did not dare confess was that he was sorry, most of all, to leave this planet because it was blessed every day with 1,440 sunsets. Chapter 15. Little prince... Visits the geographer. The sixth planet was ten times larger than the last one. 
It was inhabited by an old gentleman who wrote voluminous books. Oh, look, here's an explorer, he exclaimed to himself when he saw the little prince coming. The little prince sat down at the table and uh, panted a little. He had already traveled so much and far. Uh, where did he come from? So the old gentleman said to him. Uh, what is that big book? said the little prince. What are you doing? I am a geographer, the old man said to him. What's that geographer? asked the little prince. A geographer is a scholar who knows the location of all the seas and rivers and towns and mountains and deserts. Now that's very interesting, said the little prince. Uh, here's a, a, a man who has a real profession. He cast a look around him at the planet of the geographer. It is the most magnificent stately planet he had ever seen. And there's a picture of a man in a green suit, looked kind of worried, with a lot of lines on his forehead, going over a big book with a big magnifying glass. Your planet's very beautiful, he said. Uh, has it any oceans? Oh, I couldn't tell you, said the geographer. Ah, said Little Prince was disappointed. <laughs> Just A-H exclamation point. Ah, has it any mountains? I couldn't tell you, said the geographer. Uh, and towns and, and rivers and deserts? I couldn't tell you that either. Yeah, but you're a geographer. Exactly, the geographer said. I'm not an explorer. I haven't a single explorer on my planet. It's not the geographer who goes out to count the towns and rivers and mountains, seas and oceans and deserts. The geographer is much too important to go loafing about. He does not leave his desk, but he receives the explorers in his study and asks them questions, and he notes down what they recall on their travels. And if... The recollections of anyone among them seem interesting to him. The geographer orders an inquiry into that explorer's moral character. Well, why is that? Because an explorer who told lies would bring disaster on the books of the geographer. So would an explorer who, eh, drank too much. Well, why is that? asked the little prince. Because intoxicated men seem double. Then the geographer would note down two mountains in a place where there's only one. Uh, I know someone, said the little prince, uh, who would make a bad explorer. That is possible. Then, when the moral character of the explorer is shown to be good, an inquiry is ordered into his discovery. Uh, one goes to see it. Now, uh, that'd be too complicated, but one requires the explorer to furnish proofs. For example, if the discovery in question of that large mountain, one requires that large stones be brought back from it. The geographer uh, was suddenly stirred to excitement. Uh, but you... You come from far away. Ah, you're an explorer. You shall describe your planet to me. And having opened his big register, the geographer sharpened his pencil. The recitals of explorers are put down first in pencil. One waits until the explorers furnished proofs before putting them into ink. Uh, well, said the geographer expectantly. Oh, where I live, said the little prince. That's eh, not very interesting. Uh, it's all so small. I got three volcanoes. Two volcanoes are active, and the other is extinct. Uh, but one never knows. <laughs> one never knows, said the geographer. I also uh, have a flower. Uh, we do not record flowers, said the geographer. Why is that? The flower is the most beautiful thing on my planet. We do not record them, said the geographer, because they are ephemeral. What does that mean, ephemeral? Uh, geographies, said the geographer are the books which, of all books, are the most concerned with matters of consequence. They never become old-fashioned, and it's rarely that a mountain changes its position. It is very rarely that an ocean empties itself of its waters. We write of eternal things. Uh, but extinct volcanoes may come to life again, the little prince interrupted. Uh, what does that mean, ephemeral? Whether volcanoes are extinct or alive, it, it comes 
do the same thing for us, said the geographer. The thing that matters to us is the mountain. Uh, it does not change. Uh, what does that mean, ephemeral? Repeated the little prince, who never in his life uh, let go of a question once he asked it. It means which is in danger of speedy disappearance. Is my flower in danger of speedy disappearance? Certainly it is. My flower is ephemeral, said the little prince to himself, and she has only four thorns to defend herself against the world, and I have left her on my planet all alone. That was his first moment of regret, but he took courage once more. What place would you advise me to visit now, he asked. Ah, the planet Earth, replied the geographer. It has a good reputation. And the little prince went away, thinking of his flower. Chapter 16. The narrator discusses the Earth's lamplighters. So then, the seventh planet was the Earth. The Earth is not just an ordinary planet, exclamation point. Uh, one can count there 111 kings, not forgetting to be sure the, uh, the N-word kings among them. 7,000 geographers, uh, 900,000 businessmen, uh, 7... Million five hundred tipplers, three hundred eleven million conceited men, that is to say, about two billion grown ups. Uh, to give you an idea of the size of the earth, I will tell you that before the invention of electricity was necessary to maintain uh, over the whole of the six continents, a variable army of 462,511 lamplighters uh, for the street lamps. Seen from a slight distance, that would make a splendid spectacle. The movements of this army would be regulated like those of the ballet and the opera. At first, they would they'd come to turn the lamplighters of New Zealand and Australia, having set their lamps alight. These would go off to sleep. Next, the lamplighters of China and uh, Siberia would enter for their steps at the dance, and then they too would be waved back into the wings. After that would come the turn of the lamplighters of Russia and the Indies, and then those of Africa and Europe, and those of South America, then those of South uh, America, then uh, of North America. They said uh, those of South America, then those of South America. Okay, so that wasn't me screwing up. Then those of North America, and never would they make a mistake in the order of their entry on the stage. It would be magnificent. Only the man who was in charge of the single lamp at the North Pole and his colleagues who were responsible for the single lamp at the South Pole, only these two would live free from toil and care. Uh, they'd be busy uh, about twice a year. Chapter 17. The little prince makes the acquaintance of the snake. One. Uh, one wishes to play the wit. He sometimes wanders a little from the truth. I have not been altogether honest in what I have told you about the lamplighters, and I realize that I run the risk of giving a false idea of our planet to those who do not know it. Uh, men occupy a very small space out of the earth. If the two billion inhabitants whose people its surface were all to stand upright and uh, somewhat crowded together, uh, as they do for some big public assembly, they could easily uh, be put into one public square 20 miles long and 20 miles wide. All humanity could be piled up on the Pacific uh, islet. The grown-ups, to be sure, will not believe you when you tell them that. They imagine that they fill a great deal of space. They, they fancy themselves as important as Baobabs. You should advise them, then, to make their own calculations. They adore figures. And that will please them. But do not waste your time on this extra task. It is unnecessary. You have, I know, confidence in me. When the little prince arrived on Earth, 
Yeah, he's very much surprised to see any people. Uh, he was beginning to be afraid that he had come to the wrong planet when a coil of gold, the color of moonlight, flashed across the sand. And his picture of a little boy in a green jumpsuit with uh, crazy yellow hair walking along the desert with a little yellow snake on the ground and a star shining in the sky. Good evening, said the little prince courteously. Uh, good evening, said the snake. Uh, what planet is this that I've come down? asked the little prince. Uh, this is Earth. Uh, this is Africa, the snake answered. Ah, then there are no people on Earth? Uh, this is the desert. There's no people in the desert. The Earth is large, said the snake. That little prince sat down on a stone and raised his eyes to the sky. I wonder, uh, he said, where the stars are. Set a light in heaven so that one day each of us may find his own again. Uh, look at my planet. It's right there above us. But how far away it is. Ah, it is beautiful, the snake said. What has uh, brought you here? I have been uh, having some trouble with a flower, said the prince. Ah, said the snake. And they were both silent. Where are the men? Little prince at last took up the conversation again. It's a little lonely in the desert. It is also lonely among men, the snake said. Little prince gazed at him for a long time. Ah, you funny animal, he said at last. You're no thicker than a finger. But I am more powerful than a finger of a king, said the snake. And little prince smiled. You're not very powerful. You haven't any feet. You can't even, uh, you can't even travel. I can carry you farther than any ship can take you, said the snake. He twined himself around little prince's ankle like a, like a golden bracelet. Whomever I touch, I send back to earth from whence it came, the snake spoke again. But you are innocent and true, and you come from a star. And little prince made no reply. Uh, you move me to pity. You're so weak on this earth made of granite, the snake said. I can help you. Someday, if you grow too homesick for your own planet, I can. Oh, I understand you very well, said Little Prince. Uh, why do you always speak of riddles? I solved them all, said the snake. And they were both silent. I like how it's just like an awkward conversation where there's a lot of silence. Chapter 18. Now the Little Prince goes looking for men and meets a flower. And his picture of a flower in the desert. Little prince crossed the desert and eh, met only one flower. It was a, a flower with three petals, a flower of no account at all. Uh, good morning, said little prince. Uh, good morning, said the flower. Where are the men? Little prince asked politely. And the flower had once seen a caravan passing. Uh, men, she echoed. I think there's uh, six or seven of them in existence. I saw them several years ago, but one never knows where to find them. The wind blows them away. And they have no roots. It makes their life very difficult. And goodbye, said the prince. And goodbye, said the flower. <laughs> Chapter 19. The little prince, I climbs a mountain range. This picture of him with his flared pants and his little jumpsuit and a big scarf on top of a mountaintop. After that, the little prince climbed a high mountain. The only mountains he had ever known were the three volcanoes from which came to his knees, and he used the extinct volcano as a footstool. From a mountain as high as this one, he said to himself, I shall be able to see the whole planet one glance at all the people. Yeah, but he saw nothing, save peaks of rock that were sharpened like needles. Uh, good morning, he said courteously. Uh, good morning, good morning, good morning, answered the echo. Who are you? said Little Prince. Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? answered the Echo. Uh, be my friends. I'm all alone, he said. I'm all alone. I'm all alone. I'm all alone, answered the Echo. 
Yeah, what a queer plan, he thought. It's altogether dry and altogether pointed and altogether harsh and uh, forbidding. And the people have no imagination. They repeat what everyone says to them. On my planet, I had a flower. She always was the uh, first to speak. Well, with that, why don't we uh, retire into the master bedroom where I can read to you sultrous, uh, smoky, uh, upcoming romance novels from Penguin Random House Books. Ah, there you are, on the silky sheets of my master bedroom, and you look gorgeous. But that's not what I want you to wear. Uh, I want you to put on the exact same clothes I'm wearing right now, and uh, put on this weird rubber mask that looks exactly like my face. As I read a new upcoming romance novel, The Summer Job by Lizzie Dent. Uh, About the summer job, Beach Reed meets Sweet Bitter in this laugh-out-loud and ultimately heartwarming debut of a good friend's very bad decision and the summer job that stands to ruin or make her life. What if, this is in italics, you could be someone else just for the summer? Bertie has made a mistake. Everyone imagines running away from their life at some point, but Bertie has actually done it. And the life she's run into is her best friend's Heather's. The only problem is uh, she, she hasn't told Heather. The summer job at the Highland Scottish Hotel that her world-class wine expert friend ditched turns out to be a lot more than Bertie bargained for. Can she survive a summer pretending to be her best friend? Uh, Can Bertie stop herself from falling for the first man she's ever actually liked, but who thinks she's someone else? One good friend's very bad decision is at the heart of this laugh-out-loud love story, an unexpected tale of a woman finally finding herself in the strangest of places. So, with that, you can get The Summer Job by Lizzie Dent uh, May 18th for 16 bucks at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Bookshop.org, Hudson Booksellers, Indie Bound, Powell's Target, and Walmart! Well, I'm not hoardy anymore. Uh, why don't we go back in the library and finish reading this book? Chapter 20. The Little Prince Discovers a Garden of Roses. Oh, I don't know if you remember from my last episode, but I am speculating that the roses represent women in his life. So now he's discovering a garden of women. But it happened that after walking for a long time through sand and rocks and snow, the Little Prince came upon a road, and all roads lead to the abodes of men. Hey, good morning, he said. Nice, standing before a garden, all abloom with roses. Good morning, said the roses. Ah, that little prince gazed at them. They all look like his flower. Oh, yes, it's all tied together. Who are you? Demanded. He demanded thunderstruck. We are <laughs> roses, the roses said. And he was overcome. Whoa, his sadness. His flower had told him that she was the only one of her kind in all the universe. And... Here were 5,000 of them, all alike, uh, in one single garden. 
She would be very much annoyed, he said to himself, if she should see that. She would cough most dreadfully, and she would pretend that she was dying to avoid being laughed at. And I should be obliged to pretend that I was nursing her back to life. For if I did not do that, uh, to humble myself also, she would really allow herself to die. Then he went on with his reflections. Uh, I thought I was uh, rich with a flower that was unique in all the world. And all I had was a common rose. A common rose. Three volcanoes uh, that come up to my knees, and one of them is perhaps extinct forever. That doesn't make it a a very great prince. And he lay down in the grass and cried. There's a photo, or a photo, an illustration of him wearing his green jumpsuit, laying down in the grass uh, amongst uh, some little weeds or something, and uh, he just kind of looks distraught. Chapter 21! The little prince befriends uh, the fox. There was then... And that the fox appeared. Hey, good morning, said the fox. Good morning. The little prince responded politely, although he yeah, turned around and saw nothing. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm right here, the voice said, under the apple tree. Uh, who are you? asked the little prince and added, uh, you're very, you, you are very pretty to look at. Yeah, I'm a fox, said the fox. Yeah, come here, come and play with me, proposed the little prince. I am so unhappy. Now, I cannot play with you, the fox said. I'm not tamed. Nah. Ah, please excuse me, said the little prince, but after some thought, he added, Uh, what does that mean, tame? Uh, you don't live here, said the fox. What is it that you're looking for? I'm looking for men, said the little prince. Uh, what does that mean, tame? Men, said the fox. Uh, they got guns, and they hunt. Ah, it's very disturbing. They also raise chickens. Uh, these are uh, their only interests. Are you are you looking for chickens? No, said the little prince. I'm looking for friends. Uh, what does that mean? Tame. Uh, it's to act uh, too often neglected, said the fox. It means to establish ties. Uh, to, to establish ties? Uh, just that, said the fox. To me, you are still nothing more than a little boy who is just like a hundred thousand other little boys, and I have no need of you. And you, on your part, have no need of me. To you, I am nothing more than a fox, like a hundred thousand other foxes. But if you uh, tame me, oh, then we shall need each other. To me, you will be unique in all the world. To you, I shall be unique in all the world. Now, I'm beginning to understand, said little prince. Uh, There's a a, a flower. Uh, I think that she's tamed me. And then there's a illustration of the prince with his green jumpsuit and the big flare pants and a long green scarf. And he's kind of standing behind that or in the foreground with there's some mountains in the background and a fox with real pointy ears uh, and a very erect tail uh, standing next to him. Oh, it's possible, said the fox. On the earth, one sees all sorts of things. Oh, but this is not the earth, said the little prince. The fox seemed perplexed, very curious. Uh, another planet? Yes. Other... Uh, uh, hunters on this planet? No. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Are there, are there uh, chickens? No. Ah, nothing's perfect, sighed the fox, but he came back to his idea. My life is very monotonous, the fox said. I, I hunt chickens. Men hunt me. All the chickens are just alike, and all the men are just alike. And in consequence, I'm a eh, little bored, but if you tame me, It will be as if the sun came to shine on my life, and I shall know the sound of a step 
that will be different from all the others. Uh, other steps send me hurrying back underneath the ground, but yours will call me like music out of my burrow. And then look, you see the grain fields down yonder? Uh, I do not eat bread. Wheat is of no use to me. The wheat fields have nothing to say to me. And that is sad. But you have hair that is the color of gold. Oh, think how wonderful that will be when you have tamed me. The grain, uh, which is also golden, will bring me back the thought of you. And I shall love to listen to the wind in the wheat. Well, the fox grazed the little prince uh, uh, for a long time. Uh, please uh, tame me, he said. Uh, I want to. Uh, very much, little prince replied, but I have not at the, 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 the time. I have friends to discover. I have great many things to understand. Only well, one only understands the things that one tames, said the fox. Men have no time uh, to understand anything. They buy things already made at the shops. There's no shop anywhere but where one can buy friendship, and so men have no friends anymore. If you, if you want a friend, tame me. Uh, what must I do to tame you? Asked the little prince. Ah, you must be very patient, <laughs> replied the fox. Uh, first, you'll sit down at a little distance from me, uh, like that, in the grass, and I shall look out uh, you over the corner of my eye, and, and you will say nothing. And words are the source of misunderstandings, but you will sit a little closer to me every day. Then there's an illustration of a fox uh, kind of coming out of a purple hole with a rumpling hill that looks kind of disturbing. The next day, the little prince came back. It would have been better uh, to come back at the same hour, said the fox. If, for example, you were at four o'clock in the afternoon, then at three o'clock, I should begin to be happy. I should feel happier and happier as the hours advance. Uh, at four o'clock, I shall already be worrying and jumping about. I shall show you how happy I am. But if you come at just at any time, I shall never know at what hour my heart should be ready to greet you. Uh, one must observe proper rights. What's a right? asked the little prince. Oh, those are actions often too neglected, said the fox. They are uh, what make uh, one day different from other days. Uh, one hour burp different from other hours. There's a, a right, for example, among my, uh, among my hunters. Every Thursday they dance with the village girls. <laughs> so Thursday is a wonderful day for me. I can take a walk as far as the vineyards, but if uh, hunters dance at just any time, every day would be like every other day, and I shall never have any vacation at all. So the little prince tamed the fox. And when the hour of his departure drew near, Ah, said the fox, I shall cry. It's your own fault, said the little prince. I never wished any sort of harm, but if you want me to tame you. Yes, that is so, said the fox. Ah, but now you're going to cry, said the little prince. Yes, that is so, said the fox. Then it has done you no good at all. It has done me good, said the fox, because of the color of the wheat fields. And then he added, go on, uh, look again at the roses. You'll understand now what yours is unique in all the world. They come back to say goodbye to me, and I will make a present of a secret. Ah, little prince went away to look at the roses. Ah, you're not like, uh, you're not at all like my rose, he said. You are, you are nothing. No one has tamed you, and you have not tamed no one. You, you are like my fox when I first uh, knew him. He's only a, a fox, like a hundred thousand other foxes. But I have made him my friend, and now he is unique in all the world. 
And the roses were very much embarrassed. Uh, you are beautiful, but you are empty, he went on. What could I die for you? I want to be sure an ordinary passerby would think that my rose looked just like you, uh, the rose that belongs to me. But in herself alone, she is more important than all the hundreds of you other roses, because then it is she that I have watered. Because it is she that I have put under the glass globe. Because it is she that I have sheltered behind a screen. Because it is for her that I have killed the caterpillars. Eh. Except for uh, two or three that we saved to become butterflies. Because it is she I have listened to when she grumbled. Or uh, boasted. Or uh, even sometimes when she said nothing. Uh, because she is my rose. And he went back to meet the fox. Uh, goodbye, he said. Uh, goodbye, said the fox. And now here is my secret. Uh, it's a very simple secret. is It is uh, only with the heart uh, that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Uh, what is essential is invisible to the eye, little prince repeated, so that he could be sure to remember. It is the time you have wasted for your rose that makes your rose so important. Uh, it's a time that I waste for my rose, said the little prince, so I can remember. Men have forgotten uh, this truth, said the fox. But you must not forget it. You uh, become responsible forever for what you have tamed. You are responsible for your rose. I'm responsible for my rose, little prince repeated, so that he would be sure to remember. Chapter 22. The little prince encounters a railway switchman. Uh, good morning, said Little Prince. Good morning, said the railway switchman. Uh, what, do you, what do you do here? asked the Little Prince. Uh, I sort out travelers in bundles of a thousand, said the switchman. I send off the trains that carry them, now to the right, uh, now to the left. And a brilliantly lighted express train shook the switchman's cabin as it rushed, rushed by with a, a roar like thunder. Uh, they're in a great hurry, said Little Prince. Uh, what are they looking for? Not even the locomotive engineer knows that, said the switchman. And a second brilliantly lighted express thundered by in the opposite direction. Uh, are they coming back already? demanded the prince. These are not the same ones, said the switchman. It is an exchange. Uh, were they not satisfied where they, where they were? asked the little prince. No one is ever satisfied where he is, said the switchman. And they heard the roaring thunder of a third brilliantly lighted express. Are they uh, pursuing the first travelers? demanded Little Prince. Oh, they are pursuing nothing at all, said the switchman. They are asleep in there. Uh, or if they are not asleep, they are yawning. Uh, only the children are flattening their noses against the window panes. Only the children know what they are looking for, said the Little Prince. They, ah, they waste their time over a rag doll, and it becomes very important to them. And if anyone takes it away from them, they cry. Eh, they're lucky, the switchman said. Chapter 23. Ah, the little prince encounters a merchant. Good morning, said the little prince. Good morning, said the merchant. This was a merchant who sold pills that had been invented to quench thirst. Ah, you need only swallow one pill a week, and you'd feel no need of anything to drink. Uh, why are you selling those? Asked the little prince. Because they save a tremendous amount of time, said the merchant. Computations have been made by experts. With these pills, you save uh, 53 minutes in a week. 
And what do I what do I do with those fifty three minutes? Ah, anything you like. As for me, said the little prince to himself, I have had fifty three minutes to spend as I liked. I should walk at my leisure toward a spring of fresh water. Aha. Chapter twenty four. The narrator and the little prince, thirsty, hunt for a well in the desert. It is well now uh, the eighth day since I had my accident in the desert, and I had listened to the story of the merchant as I was drinking the last drop of my water supply. Ah, ah, I said to the prince, these memories of yours are very charming, and that I have not succeeded in repairing my plane. I have nothing more to drink, and I, too, should be very happy if I could walk at my leisure toward a spring of fresh water. Eh... My friend the fox, little prince said to me, All right, my dear little man, this is no longer a matter that has anything to do with the fox. Uh, why not? Because uh, I'm about to die of thirst? He did not follow my reasoning, and he answered me. Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing to have a friend, even if one's about to die. I, for instance, am very glad to have had the fox as a friend. Now, he has no way of guessing the danger, I said to myself. He has never uh, been either hungry or thirsty. Well, that's a good point. Uh, we've never heard of this kid stopping to eat a meal. Uh, a little sunshine is all he needs. Barney looked at me steadily and replied to my thought. Oh, I am thirsty too. Let us look for a well. I made a gesture of weariness, but it is absurd to look for a well at random in the immensity of the desert. But nevertheless, we started walking. When we had uh, trudged along for several hours in silence, and darkness fell and the stars began to come out, uh, thirst had made me a, meh, meh, a little feverish, and I looked at him uh, as if I, I were in a dream. Little Prince's last words came reeling back in my memory. Uh, then you are thirsty too, I demanded. But he did not reply to my question. He merely said to me, water may also be good for the heart. I didn't understand his answer, and I said nothing. I knew very well that it was impossible to cross-examine him. Uh, he was tired, so I sat down. And I sat down beside him, and after a little silence, he spoke again. Ah, this star is so beautiful, because a flower cannot be seen. I replied, yes, this is so, and without saying anything more, I looked across the ridges of the sand, and were stretched out before us in the moonlight. Uh, the desert's beautiful, little prince added. Yeah, that is true. I have always loved the desert. One sits down in a desert uh, sand dune, sees nothing, hears nothing, yet through the silence something uh, it throbs and gleams. What makes the desert beautiful, said Little Prince, is that somewhere it hides a, it hides a well. And I was astonished by a sudden understanding of that mysterious radiation of the sands. Uh, when I was a, a little boy, I lived in an old house, and legend told us that a treasure was buried there. To be sure, no one had ever known how to find it. Perhaps no one had ever looked for it, but it cast an enchantment over that house. My home was hiding a secret in the depths of its heart. Yes, I said to the little prince. The house, the stars, the, the desert. What gives them their beauty is something that is invisible. I am glad, he said that you agree oh, with my fox. As the little prince dropped off to sleep, I took him in my arms and set out walking once more. I, I felt deeply moved and stirred. It seemed to me that I was carrying a very a fragile treasure. It seemed to me even that there was 
nothing more fragile on all earth. In the moonlight, I looked at his pale forehead, his, his closed eyes, his locks of hair that trembled in the wind, and I, and I said to myself, uh, what, I, what I see here is nothing but a, but a shell. What is most important is invisible. As his lips opened slightly with a suspicious half of a smile, I said to myself again, what moves me so deeply about this little prince who is sleeping here uh, is the loyalty to a flower, the image of a rose that shines through his whole being like the flame of a lamp, even when he's asleep. And I took him to be more fragile. Still, uh, I felt the need protecting him as if he himself were a flame that might be extinguished by a little puff of wind. And as I walked on, so I found the well at daybreak. Chapter 25, Finding a Well, the narrator and the little prince discuss his return to his planet. Men, said the little prince, set out on their way in express trains, but they do not know what they're looking for. Oh, they rush about, ah, they get excited, and turn round and round. And then he added, it's not worth the trouble. The well that we had come to was not like the wells of the Sahara. The wells of the Sahara uh, were mere holes dug in the sand. This one was like a well in a village, but there was no village here, and I thought I must be dreaming. Hey, it is strange, I said to the little prince. Everything is ready to use, the, the pulley, the bucket, the rope, and there's an illustration of the little prince in his green jumpsuit with his flare pants uh, pulling on the well, trying to get that bucket up with his now yellow scarf blowing behind him. He laughed, touched the rope, and set the pulley to working, and the pulley moaned like an old weather vane with which the wind had long forgotten. Uh, do you hear, said the little prince, we have awakened the well, and it is singing. I want him to tire himself with the rope. Uh, leave it to me, I said, it's too heavy for you. I hoisted the bucket slowly to the edge of the well and set it there, happy, tired as I was over my achievement. The song of the pulley was still in my ears, and I could see the sunlight's shimmer in the still-trembling water. I am thirsty for this water, said the little prince. Give me some of it to drink. And I understood what you've been looking for. Oh, so the child does eat and drink. I raised the bucket to his lips. Then he drank. His eyes closed. It was as sweet as some special festival treat. The water was indeed a different thing from the ordinary nourishment. Its sweetness was born of the walk under the stars, the, the song of the pulley, the effort of my arms. It was good for the heart, ah, like a present. And when I was a little boy, the lights of the Christmas tree, the, the music uh, of the midnight mass, uh, the tenderness of uh, smiling faces used to make up so the, the radiance of the gifts I received. The men are where you live, said the little prince, raise 5,000 roses in the same garden, and, and they do not find in it what they're looking for. And they, they do not find it, I replied, and yet they are looking uh, for it could be found in one single rose or, or in a little water. Yeah, that's true, I said. And the little prince said, uh, but the eyes are blind. One must look with the heart. Nine. Drunk the water, I breathed easily. Uh, at sunrise, the sand is the color of honey. And uh, that honey color was making me happy, too. Uh, what brought me, then, uh, this sense of grief? 
You must keep your promise, said the little prince softly as we sat down beside me once more. Uh, what, uh, what promise? Uh, you know, a muzzle from a sheep. I am responsible for this flower. I took my drafts and drawings out of my pocket, and the little prince looked them over and, and, and laughed as he said, Ah, you're, you're baobabs. They look like cabbages. Oh, and I would have been so proud of my baobabs. Uh, your fox, his ears look like little horns, uh, and they're, uh, they're too long. And he laughed again. Uh, you're not fair, little prince, I said. I don't know how to draw anything except for boa constrictors from the outside and boa constrictors from the inside. Oh, oh, that'll be all right, he said. Children understand. So then, I made a pencil sketch of a muzzle, and as I gave it to him, my heart was torn. You have uh, plans that I do not know about, I said. And he didn't answer me. He said to me instead, uh, You know, my descent to Earth, tomorrow will be its anniversary. Then, after a silence, he went on, I came down very near here, and he flushed. At once, without understanding why, I had a queer sense of sorrow. One question, however, occurred to me. Then it was not by, uh, by, by chance that on the morning when... I first met you a, a week ago that you were strolling along like that, all alone, a thousand miles from any inhabited region. Uh, you were on your back to the plane that you landed. The little prince flushed again, and I added with some hesitancy, perhaps because of the anniversary. That little prince, uh, prince flushed once more. Uh, he never answered questions, but when one flushes, uh, does that not mean yes? Ah, I said to him, I'm a little frightened, but he interrupted me. Uh, now you must work. You must return to your engine, and I'll be waiting for you here. Come back uh, mm, yeah, tomorrow evening. Oh, but I was not reassured. I remember the fox. One runs the risk of weeping a little if one lets himself be tamed. Chapter 26 The Little Prince Converses with the Snake. The Little Prince Consoles a Narrator. The Little Prince Returns to His Planet. Beside the well... There was the ruin of an old stone wall. When I came back from work uh, the next evening, I saw some distance away the little prince sitting on top of the wall with his uh, feet dangling, <laughs> and I heard him say, uh, Then you don't remember. This is not the exact spot. Another voice must have answered him, for it replied to it, uh, Yes, yes. It's the right day, but it's not the right place. And I continued to walk toward the wall, and at no time did I hear anyone the little prince, however, replied once again, Exactly. You will see where my track begins in the sand, and you have nothing to do but wait for me there, and I shall be there tonight. I was only 21 meters from the wall, and I still saw nothing. After a silence, the little prince spoke again. Uh, you have good poison? Are, are you sure that it will not make me suffer too long? Oh, I stopped in my tracks. My heart torn asunder. But still, I did not understand. Now, now go away, said the little prince. I, I want to get down from the wall. And there's an illustration of a, a, a broken up wall piece that the little prince in his green jumpsuit with his flare pants and his yellow scarf uh, is sitting on top of with a small snake pointing straight up toward him. I dropped my eyes, then to the foot of the wall, and I leapt into the air. There before me, facing the little prince, was one of those uh, eh, eh, yellow snakes. 
that just take 30 seconds to bring your life to an end. Even as I was digging into my pocket to get out my revolver, I made a running step back. But at the noise I made, the snake let himself flow easily across the sand like the dying spray of a fountain, and in no apparent hurry disappeared with a light metallic sound among the stones. I reached the wall just in time to catch my little man in my arms. His face was white as snow. Uh, what does this mean? I demanded. Why, you, why you talking with snakes? I had loosened the golden muffler that was he always wore, and I had moistened his temples, and he had given him some water to drink, and now I did not dare to ask him any more questions. Uh, he looked at me very gravely and put his arms around my neck. I felt his heart beating like the heart of a dying bird shot with someone's rifle. I am glad that you have found what was the matter with your engine, he said, and now you can go back home. How do you know about that? I was just uh, coming to tell you uh, that my work had been successful beyond anything that I dared hope. He made no answer to my question, but he added, I too am going back home today. Then sadly, it's much farther. It's much more difficult. I realized clearly that something extraordinary was happening, and I was holding him close to my arms as if he were a little child, and yet it seemed to me that he was rushing headlong toward an abyss from which I could do nothing to restrain him. His look was very serious, like uh, someone lost far away. Uh, I have your sheep, and I have the sheep's box, and I have the sheep's muzzle. And he gave me a sad smile. This is getting really sad. I waited a long time, and I could see that he was reviving little by little. Dear dear little man, I said to him, you are afraid. He was afraid, but there was no doubt about that. But he laughed lightly. I shall be much more afraid this evening. Yep, this is getting really, really sad. Once again, I felt myself frozen by the sense of something irreparable, and I knew that I could not uh, bear the thought of ever hearing that laughter anymore. For me, it was like a spring of fresh water in the desert. Little man, I said, I want to hear you laugh again. But he said to me, Tonight it will be a year. My star then can be found right uh, right above the place where I came to earth a year ago. Little man, I said, (laughs) tell me that it is only a bad dream, this affair with the snake and the meeting and the star. But he did not answer my plea. He said to me instead, The thing that is important is the thing that is not seen. Yes, I know. It was just as with the flower. If you love a flower that lives on a star, it is sweet to look at in the night sky. All the stars are abloom with flowers. This is insanely sad. Yes, I know. It is just as it is with the water, because of the pulley and the rope that you gave me to drink was like music. You remember how good it was? Uh, yes, I know. <laughs> this is sad as hell. And at night, you look up at the stars where I live. Everything is so small that I cannot show you where my star is to be found. It is better like that. My star will just be one of the stars for you, and so you will love to watch all the stars in the heavens. They will all be your friends, and besides, I am going to make you a present. He laughed again. Ah, little prince, dear prince, I love to hear your laughter. That is my present. Just that. Oh my God, this is the saddest thing. <laughs> I'm going to admit, I'm kind of tearing up. Like, uh, I'm an old man. You cry at, like, commercials. Uh, it'll be as when we drank the water. Yep. <laughs> what are you trying to say? 
Oh, I got to power through this. All men have the stars, he answered, but they are not the same things for different people. For some who are travelers, the stars are guides. For others, there are no more than little lights in the sky. For others who are scholars, they are problems. For my businessman, they were wealth. But all the stars are silent. You alone will have the stars as no one else has them. What are you trying to say? In one of the stars, I shall be living. Oh, this is killing me. <laughs> In one of them, I shall be laughing. Yep, this is pulling at all the heartstrings. And so it will be as if the stars were laughing. Uh, when you look at the sky at night, you, only you, will have the stars that can laugh. And he laughed again. And when your sorrow is comforted, time soothes all sorrows. You will be content that you have known me. You will always be my friend. You will want to laugh with me. You will sometimes open your windows so for that pleasure. And your friends will properly be astonished to see you laughing as you look up at the sky. And you will say to them, yes, the stars always make me laugh. And they will think you're crazy. And it will be a very shabby trick I shall have played on you. And he laughed again. This is killing me. It will be as if, in place of stars, I have given you a great number of little bells that knew how to laugh. Oh, God, this is killing me. <laughs> ah! Oh, man. Oh, they know how to pull on your, on your heart stuffs. Ah. Uh, and he laughed again. Then he quickly became serious. Tonight, you know, do not come, said the little prince. I shall not leave you, I said. I shall look as if I were suffering. I shall look as if I were dying. It is like that. Do not come to see that. It's not worth the trouble. I shall not leave you. But he was worried. I tell you, it is also because of the snake. He must not bite you. Snakes, they are malicious creatures. This one might bite you just for fun. I shall not leave you. But a thought came to reassure him. It is true that they have no more poison for a second bite. Then there's an illustration of the little prince just sort of sitting humbly. I don't know what's going on with him. That night, I did not see him set on his way. He got out from me without making a sound. And when I succeeded in catching up with him, he was walking along with a quick and resolute step. He said to me merely, Ah, ah, you are there. He took me by the hand, but he was still worrying. It was wrong of you to come. You will suffer. I shall look as if I were dead. And that will not be true. I said nothing. You will understand it is too far. I shall carry my body with me. It's too heavy. I said nothing. But it will be like an old-fashioned shell. There's nothing sad about old shells. I said nothing. He's a little discouraged. Uh, but he made one more effort. You know, it will be very nice. I, too, shall look at the stars. All the stars... Oh, God. The frog in the throat <laughs> will be wells with... With a rusty pulley, all the stars shall pour out fresh water for me to drink. And I said nothing. That will be so amusing. You will have 500 million little bells, and I shall have 500 million little springs of fresh water. And he, too, said nothing more, because he was crying. Here it is. Let me go on by myself. Now oh, there's a picture of him sitting with his flare pants, uh, and there's a star shining on him. He sat down because he was afraid. Then he said again, You know, uh, my flower, I'm responsible for her. And she's so weak. She is so naive. She has uh, four thorns of no use at all to protect herself against all the world. 
and I too sat down, because I was not able to stand up any longer. There now, that is all. He still hesitated a little, then he got up, and he took one step, and I could not move. There was nothing but a flash of yellow close to his ankle. He remained motionless for an instant. He did not cry out as he fell gently as a tree falls. There was not even a sound because of the sand. And then there's a picture of him looking all yellow, falling over with a star in front of him. Chapter 27, The Narrator's Afterthoughts. And now, six years have already gone by. I have never yet told this story. The companions who met me on my return were well content to see me alive. Uh, I was sad, but I told them I am tired. And now my sorrow is comforted a little. That is to say, not entirely. But I know that he did go back to his planet because I did not find his body at daybreak. It was not such a, a heavy body. And at night I love to listen to the stars. It is like 500 million little bells. But there is one extraordinary thing. When I drew the muzzle for the little prince, I forgot to add the leather strap to it. Uh, he will never have been able to fasten it on a sheep. So now I keep wondering, what is happening on his planet? Perhaps a sheep have, has eaten the flower. And one time I say to myself, uh, surely not. Yeah, the little prince shuts his flower under his glass globe every night, and he watches her over his sheep very carefully, and then I am happy. There is a, a sweetness in the laughter of the stars. But at another time I say to myself, at some moment, or uh, another one is absent-minded, uh, and that's enough. On some one evening... Uh, he forgets the glass globe where the sheep got out without making any noise in the night, and uh, the little bells are, are changed to tears. Here, then, is a great mystery. For you, who also love the little prince, and for me, nothing in the universe can be the same if somewhere we do not know where a sheep that we never saw was, yes or no, eaten a rose. Look up in the sky. Ask yourselves, is he yes or no? Has the sheep eaten the flower? And, uh, and you will see how everything changes. And no grown-up will ever understand that this is a matter of such importance. And it's a picture of just like hills and a little star. That is, to me, the loveliest and saddest landscape in the world. It is the same as that on the preceding page that I have drawn it again to impress upon your memory. It is here that a little prince appeared on earth and disappeared. Look at it carefully so that you will be sure to recognize it in case you travel someday to the African desert. And if you should uh, come upon this spot, uh, please do not hurry on. Uh, wait for a time, exactly under the star. Then, if a little man appears who laughs, who has uh, golden hair, and who refuses to answer questions, you will know who he is. If this should happen, please comfort me. Send me word that he has come back. Well, that's the saddest thing you ever read. Uh, I'm not tearing up. It's just dusty down here in the basement. So with that, why don't we go back into the smoky room and review uh, what the hell we just read. Well, settle yourself down here in the smoking room of the Leaves of Glen Mansion. A little bit I won't give up on, and uh, let's recap this story from where we left off. A uh, little boy travels around the earth 
and uh, just keeps seeing more deflating things. He runs into a bunch of roses, which I thought, oh, here comes his temptation to get him away from his original rose. But uh, no, he sees them all as hollow and empty vessels, uh, crap roses, because he's got a special one. He runs into a fox and explains to him what makes someone special to you, is that you take the time in them to to understand them and to care for them, whether you like it or not, and then they become more important to you. And then he comes back to uh, the narrator and uh, says, well, fix your plane. And they look for water. And uh, they find water and why it's so precious, because you've been without it. And, uh, and then the saddest ending in the world, up until this last half, I was sort of like, ah, oh, this kid's yeah, just kind of judgy, kind of a jerk, kind of walking around. But then he slowly died because he got bit by a snake and uh, still had these beautiful things to say about how you can look into the stars and know that one of the planets is mine. I'm not going to get into it. I don't want to tear up again. So what's good? Uh, I guess sad stories of little kids dying is always going to be good. What sucks? Eh, the little kid dies. I think I would have been happier if he was more, if he just kind of kept being eh, a little bit of a jerk kind of a judgy kid, kind of a know-it-all kid, and then just went back to his planet. That would have been better, but didn't happen. Uh, but then we don't know if he really died or not, because they never found his body, though his body is very small and can easily be swept under the sands, so we'll never really know. What do we learn? Well, we learn that the little prince uh, constantly has unflattering portraits of grown-ups being hopelessly narrow-minded. Uh, in contrast, uh, he's, you know, making it clear that children come to wisdom through open-mindedness and willingness to explore the world around them and the world within themselves. Uh, the main theme of the fable expresses the secret that the fox tells the little prince that it's only uh, with the heart that one can see rightly and what is essential is invisible to the eye, which is a very touching thing, especially towards the goddamn end of the story. If you don't have a heart, you didn't feel anything in that. Uh, a lot of people say uh, that the worldview of the Little Prince is similar to Antoine de saint Exibiri, which I'm so happy I can stop butchering that pronunciation of that name. Uh, so that's kind of sad because he's out there uh, flying planes during a war uh, and then going back to America, trying to convince people in America to get involved in World War II. Uh, and meanwhile, he has the heart of an orphan. So, uh, but I looked up his wife... His wife, Consuelo, is uh, also said to have had erratic behavior, similar to that of the, of the Prince's Rose, uh, which you could say, well, that's just kind of a jerk thing to say, except that she wrote a book later called The Tale of the Rose, explaining how she's the Rose, uh, written in 1945 and published in the year 2000. So, if you want to find out more about what drove this man to write this super sad story about existing uh, off his planet and constantly caring about this Rose, uh, uh, you can go read that. So, uh, well, that was sad as hell. I uh, guess I'll dive back into Charles Dickens. That'll make me feel good again. So with that, uh, thanks for listening. And uh, uh, thanks to Wanda for sending me this story. Uh, I will see you later this week. Ah, uh, well, it appears you found me in the part of the podcast I hate the most where I tell you 
all about the places on the internet where you can find me. You can tell I hate this because of the sound effects making it sound like a stormy night uh, in the drawing room of the damned. Now, there's there's that. Uh, uh, I, are you cool? I like cool people. It's the reason why I got involved in this business to begin with, just to meet cool people, not losers. So if you're cool, uh, feel free to go over to my website, uh, nuzzlehouse.com. You can see a backlog of everything I've ever read, uh, along with episodes from the Book Boys and uh, blah, blah, blah. You can also find me on Instagram, uh, which is uh, House Nuzzle. And conveniently enough, uh, Twitter, which is also at House Nuzzle. Annoyingly, YouTube made me pick a name instead of just a House Nuzzle. So you got Glenn Nuzzles. So I guess you search for that if you want to watch a screen that doesn't do anything and just hear my voice. Uh, and since, uh, since I think you might be cool, you can always just email me directly. Glenn.Nuzzles at gmail.com. But don't, uh, don't email if you're a, a nerdlinger or a dork. Now, back to business. I can't believe I drank all of them already. There's gotta be one left.